0: I think for me that that point of focus is so important and so I think if you are going to be serious and take a risk, I think getting into a mindset of I'm going to focus on one thing and every day I'm going to wake up and think about this one job I got to do or one metric I got to move and all my efforts are going to go in there. The speed of decision making is really important.
1: Hi, I am Tatiana Pandurovich, and welcome to Moonshot, a space where comfort zones don't exist. Having spent most of my life scared to take risks, the one thing I am seeking now is to be surrounded by more people who are courageous, bold, unafraid, and relentless in their pursuit for success to help inspire me and hopefully you. In this podcast, we dive deep into the minds of individuals who see no limits, those who dream big and defy boundaries. Let's rise together. Today on Moonshot, we're joined by Alexis Solopolis, one of Australia's leading tech executives. Alexis is the co-founder of Mad Australia's digital platform that connects pet owners with high quality services and products, having provided over 2.5 million pet care services since launch. MadPause was recognised as number five on the fastest growing companies in the AFR Fast 100 list 2023, was one of Deloitte Tech Fast 50 companies in 2022 and 2023, achieved recognition as Innovator of the Year in 2022, as well as a LinkedIn top startup to work for. Alexis is also the co founder of the Sharing Hub. Australia's accelerator for sharing economy businesses, and has been recognised as a leader on the Forbes 30 under 30, as well as Young Executive of the Year in 2020. Join me as we explore what it takes to build a successful business with Alexis and his advice for aspiring founders. Alexi, it's great to have you on the Moonshot podcast. I'd like to start by asking, how would you describe yourself?
0: Yes, thank you. It's great to be here. Um, And immediately, uh, uh, not an easy question. Look, I think I am good at some some things and I'm not good at many other things. But I think one thing that hopefully is a bit of a pattern in my life is whenever something is important enough, I've always adopted a curious mindset and a mindset to try and improve and learn to things that were important to me. And I think... More recently, I recently got married.
1: Congratulations! Uh, Very exciting.
0: Um, but of course, I've uh, been with Stefania for three and a half years, and she she pointed out a number of things I needed to significantly lift the bar on. Right, for example, tidiness in the house, and I just was, it was really important for me. And I think you've seen it. I I created a whiteboard together with her. And so all the tasks I needed to do, I essentially implemented a system for me to want to improve these. So every time now we do the vacuum cleaning, we give ourselves a stripe. Every time we uh, dishwashing cleaning, give ourselves a stripe. And it was just for me a good system to build a skill that wasn't at the standard level required. And I build it into a habit that's rewarding because it's competitive and that's allowed me to change my kind of change my habits and significantly level up and it's one example I'm proud of because she's very happy with it she'
1: will be happy to hear this then
0: yes no she's happy to hear it but she sees it every day so it's it's one of the things where I was able to make a big change and I'm proud of of that now um, so yeah and this, I guess one aspect of of, uh, of who I am it's the it's the Trying to change if it's important to me, making a making a conscious effort to make a change.
1: That curiosity to learn. Yeah. Where does that come
0: from? Um, I mean, I was I was brought up in a in a in a family that that learned me everything uh, in in the beginning, like 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 most kids, of course. Uh, but both my dad and my mom that were entrepreneurs, and they always had the mindset of like. there's so many uncertainties in life so there is no point in stressing about uncertainty but there is a point in processing information um, and taking in the information and then making a change if that's required and Alexis if you can do that skill while playing uh, in the garden and uh, doing all these things you're doing um, shooting with water guns on cars don't do that anymore because sometimes you get a angry car owner but if you're doing all of that that's a good mindset to also apply later in life. And it's our advice, of course, you do whatever you want, but it's our advice to start an entrepreneurial journey later because we think it's rewarding and it's a way to make impact in life and it's a way to do what you enjoy and to a way to work with great people who you can also reward if things go well. So we, ent- we recommend entrepreneurship and it's important to have a, a mindset to change, a mindset to curiosity, a mindset that you can deal with uncertainty without being too stressful. So I think that's how... Um, I adopted those skills, yeah.
1: Very good. So you, it's something that you've had from a very young age and it's a skill that you've honed over time. I was reading a Forbes article recently where a moonshot in the technology business was described as an ambitious, exploratory and groundbreaking project undertaken without any expectation of near-term profitability or benefit and also perhaps without a full investigation of potential risks and benefits. This sounds very familiar to me with something that you pursued with Ma- MadPause. Can you talk to me about a moonshot that you've taken?
0: The early the early journey of, of MadPause was very much a moonshot like that. I just finished university. I didn't really have necessarily the next steps locked in place and me and uh, Jan, who's later the co-founder and Juss, and, and who's later the co-founder, had a discussion about starting this Pet services, Airbnb for pet services with a vision to really build a pet ecosystem business. And I think, um, to your quote, at the time, we didn't have a fully laid out plan. It kind of made sense. We were very excited about it, which was a driving force. We really thought we would solve a problem. Asking pet owners in the dog park about this, they also thought we would solve their problem. But it was a big drive from that perspective. But for me, people always ask, hey, Alexis, were you scared taking such a jump? Indeed, like maybe it wouldn't have worked out. I already, in my mind, had a million reasons why it could not work out. But I I was still like, you know what? Let's just try it. Let's take a few serious steps in that direction. Not every day, worry about whether it's going to work or not. But in six months, have an evaluation point and see where are we? Is it going to work or not? And that's what I did. And then... You know, we worked as much as possible, got good results. And then in six months, evaluated and said, actually, there are some investors wanting to put money in this and customer feedback is strong. Let's absolutely continue. Um, so yeah, that's that's that. But I should say I was a lot younger then. I had nothing to lose. I just finished university. It was a very risk reward. It was a very, a very good step to take. And I appreciate that a lot of people are not in that situation with mortgages and and, and kids and older in their life and so forth. So I should mention that as well.
1: Thank you for sharing. And MadPause is extremely successful today. Uh, Recently, it was on the AFR Fast 100 list 2023. What factors do you attribute this growth to?
0: Well, we are definitely benefiting with MadPause from macroeconomic factors. In COVID, so many um, households in Australia got pets. there is a 25 percent increase in in uh, pet ownership in pet ownership and also in dogs and cats. so imagine any market that suddenly in a very short time period grows by 25 percent It's huge It's really huge and then the spend per pet owner on their dogs and cats has also very significantly increased because of the humanizations of of dogs and cats people and pets in general. people spend more because because they see uh, their pets as part of the family. So we've benefited from the macro for sure. I think we also bene- benefited from operating with the right focuses and really going hard on the metrics that we believed had a lot of upside, like converting incoming inquiries to payments, like retention. Like we believe had a strong belief in data that we can match our pet owners better to our pet sitters if we collect a lot of data and hire the right data talent to do those matches better. And that played out very, very well. Then we also did a number of um, acquisitions to really build out that ecosystem. And all of that coming together, together with one super important element, which is a very motivated and capable team, I think is um, resulting in the growth that we're seeing.
1: And when you just mentioned a highly motivated and capable team, MadPause is also listed as one of the top startups or top companies to work for on LinkedIn.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: How did you create that culture?
0: Yeah. Well, I think. It's a by culture is always, it's, it's, it has to be led from the founders, the the CEOs, but it's, it's very much co-created by everyone. As soon as you have got one, more than one person, culture is being co-created and co-created and as our team scaled a lot, uh, really everyone in the company is responsible for, for a culture. And that means the very first thing is working with the right people. And so hiring is super crucial and hiring very motivated talent, but also a talent that's going to contribute to culture and going to fit to culture and bring their own contributions to cu- culture. I think is really important. Uh, I think having a purpose as a company and translating that in court- yearly goals and quarterly goals and even KPIs for for people, um, but linking it all to that purpose so that people know why they're there and why they are why they're working together and why sometimes they're pushing through the task that's not so fun. But why they celebrate the tasks that are fun and the milestones that are fun? I think that's really crucial. And then it's about, for me as well, about open. Well, let's call it teamwork. How we work together. But it's for me that communication is so key. I think if there is a transparent company culture where people say when something is wrong and explain why and work on a solution, and praise when something is going well. Well, and if they do put pressure, they explain again why. Um, why it is important that we hit, hit that deadline. I think that, that verbal and written communication between people is just super crucial in, in, in building a healthy culture as well.
1: You summarized that so well. How big is MadPose today?
0: Yeah, well, so MadPost is consisting now of the Madpos group brands, uh, but within four companies within that, within that brand. It has served um, over 400,000 customers now. And provided for the Madpolls Pet Services Marketplace, the original business, over two and a half million pet stays. We're 140 employees working hard on our mission to uh, ensure pets live their very best lives. In the last financial year, it, it did roughly 60 million of uh, GMV, which is the, kind of the top line sales coming in. So yeah, That's uh, just some stats for you there.
1: Serves a large portion of the
0: market. Yeah, exactly. And I think what I'm very excited about is these numbers are very significantly growing. And so, yeah, every every six months is a totally different story still for everyone in the team because of the, the growth that you continue seeing.
1: Which makes it an exciting place to work, I imagine, as well. Yeah,
0: no, exactly. Exactly, exactly. Yeah.
1: I've had a few guests on the podcast who have all shared about the difficulty in actually scaling a business. Yeah, And a few of them... S- a few of them have said it's not easy to scale a business. What are some of the top lessons you've learned from scaling mad to where it is today?
0: I mean, I think uh, focus is really key as one, as one uh, lesson. Focus is, is super important. And for me, that's defining the, metri- the metrics that matter and going very hard at those because they're very hard to move usually. And the only way to do that is to laser focus on them. And
1: What kind of metrics are they that are hard to move?
0: Any growth business to get, it, I mean, it depends on the stage of the company. But I would say if you're in the zero to one stage, like starting something, it's good to define a north star metric. Like for Airbnb, it was uh, bookings. For Uber, it was rides. For Facebook, it was famously how many how many new user profiles are signed up that connect with ten friends in ten days because they know that that engage engage using usage. For Maples in the beginning, it was simply transactions.
1: Where did most of that growth come from? Was it Outbound marketing, word of mouth. What marketing channels had the biggest impact?
0: Um, because we operate four businesses in Madpost. Different businesses have different marketing channels, which is a great to compare. The the Madpost marketplace, which is the the largest business, it's honestly word of mouth. And that's we've been extremely lucky there. Uh, but many marketplaces have that. And so that's why it's important that you take that into into your into your calculations because we might We bring customers in, but we're very lucky that they bring other customers as well. And that's why it's so important for us to focus on customer support and so forth. Second biggest channel for the marketplace is Google Organic Search. So it's SEO. And most marketplaces benefit from this because we have so much content created because all of our service providers, pet sitters in our case, create their own pet sitting pages. They write unique content about, I'm offering dog walking in Bandai, and so they're their dog walking page, Tatiana's dog walking page in Bondi, will rank in Bondi for dog walking. And we have 40,000 pet sitters, right? So us using that unique content in the best way really helps to amplify organic search, which is a huge part after word of mouth of organic, of, of customer acquisition. So that's really powerful. For some of our other businesses, they're much more um, visual, like Sashpits. It's a very, it's a very Instagrammable, desirable Brands and and that's where influencers works exceptionally well, as well as paid uh, social, paid social on uh, Facebook and Instagram.
1: Very cool. What are some of the biggest challenges you've had to overcome?
0: Biggest challenges. I mean, in the early days of uh, of the business, it was. I mean, it was. I was young, so leading a, a team of also ultimately young people was was great, and it was sometimes also challenging and making tough. People decisions, which at the time, perhaps sometimes made too late, like making a someone that wasn't right for the culture, but nevertheless, like very strong uh, technically, for example, making those changes is very important. And I had to learn that to, that, to do that faster. Capital raising, that certainly wasn't, there have been times when it was very easy, when the markets were great and the business was fantastic. Uh, but certainly in the early days, there were times when we needed to, to complete a very big new technology build and investors wanted to sit a bit by the sideline to see is this technology build really going to eventuate in the time you say and how you say because it's complex and that's tough right because as a startup you have very limited resources and and if you don't get investment in at the time you needed to get in it's very stressful
1: it makes it much more challenging to grow yeah resources. exactly
0: i mean we always always managed to do it but it, it certainly was was uh, was stressful and I think the other thing, it's back to that point of focus. It's, there's a million things you can do and a million things you can focus on. And ultimately, the best results with, when you have a small team and when you have a few resources is when you invest them all on the most important focus area. And finding that most, most important focus area and getting everyone to see it the same way and be bought in. Drive towards the same view. Yeah, exactly. It's something I early, in the early days, definitely gotten wrong many times but learned a lot from and as a team we got now I think very very good at that.
1: How do you get everyone to drive towards the same vision because it's a challenge that a lot of organizations face at a founding level or a level where you make decisions for the organization you're very connected to the vision and where you want to go but you've also still got a relatively large organization how do you permeate that message through to everyone?
0: Well I think the the way to do that is being very clear on why we're here. And that's our purpose. And I think it's an exciting one for Manpo. It's ensuring pets live their very best lives. And then translating that one step at a time back to the individual level. And that means, cool. Well, if we want to ensure all pets live their very best lives, it also means we've got to hit um, both customer goals, but we gotta also they also need to trans- translate into financial metrics so we can, as a business, support ourselves growing, growing to that business to that through that goal. And so on a yearly basis, that means goal one, two, three. Don't have ten goals, have three focus areas. On a quarterly basis, all the teams come together in the planning cycle and they also for their department, for their unit, for uh, their squad have goals one, two, three. And then on the individual level, that's translated to their own KPIs. And those are so nicely connected through quarterly, yearly, and ultimately purpose. And I think when that whole line is so clear, Mission and purpose to KPIs. It really helps articulating and understanding and getting everyone on the same page to focus on on what what the business is focused on
1: and ultimately drives the organization all toward the same direction. As yeah, well.
0: exactly. And then um, the other thing is it's marketing as well, right? It's it's speaking about uh, the purpose and and the quarterly goals and the KPIs regularly. And a good way of doing that that we do in Matballs is showcase sessions. So every two weeks, everyone presents what they have been working on, what they launched, uh, which marketing campaigns went live, which website features went live, for example, which new customer support processes have been implemented, what the results were, how the results track against the quarterly uh, goals of of their particular uh, group, and how that is going to contribute to essentially our vision of uh, ensuring pets live their very best lives.
1: Given the experience that you've had within the startup community, what advice would you give to an aspiring entrepreneur?
0: I think for me, that that point of focus is so important. I personally made the mistake not to focus in the beginning. I mean, not focus on one thing. I was doing PR. My face was everywhere. I was doing, which was great. I thought it was great. I was um, getting lots of users from, from that PR. But ultimately, the metric that mattered, which was paid transactions, wasn't moving. And so I think if you are going to be serious and take a risk, I think getting into a mindset of, I'm going to focus on one thing and every day I'm going to wake up and think about this one job I got to do or one metric I got to move and all my efforts are going to go in there. That helps a lot. And as soon as I realized that, um, I started my story calling everyone and much more so than the PR at that stage of the company, calling the customers is what moved that metric. And then as soon as I realized that, I just kept calling them every day, kept connecting pet owners with pet sitters, then got those insights and learned what was required to convert a booking from an inquiry to a payment and a successful match between pet owner and pet sitter. And then we quoted eventually those, those insights into automated text message notifications and then ultimately automated uh, technology notifications on the app. And so that was really, really crucial, but it could have only happened and we could have only moved and got to that stage because of, because of extreme focus.
1: An extreme focus on the right activity because you ultimately pivoted to that main metric you talked about that was determining success in the early days for Madport.
0: Correct, 100%. And I think that's where I often see, and made the mistake myself, and I often see others struggling. There is so much to do. There honestly is. But you got to make the very hard decision to say no to so many things that's screaming your attention and to so many opportunities that could be really good in order to focus on a very limited one and i would say the more early stage you are the more that becomes one metric
1: in a really singular way on something that will give you the most leverage
0: yeah exactly
1: the inputs that will drive the greatest outputs.
0: yeah correct exactly
1: you're also the co-founder of the sharing hub can you tell me more about this business and what mo- motivated you to start this
0: yeah i mean i wouldn't necessarily call it a business it's more I always believed that sharing insights amongst people that are working on similar problems and similar, uh, well, businesses in this case, is hugely valuable. And so we started uh, a number of years ago, uh, let's call it uh, informal sessions to share insights on which marketing channel is working, very much like the questions you asked me today, what, uh, which, which team members to hire for the tech team, where to hire them, and so forth. And that was, that was myself and the founders and CEOs of Car Next Door and Spacer and a number of other ones. And that was just so valuable that we expanded that network and kept, kept sharing insights. And eventually, uh, people wanted to join and early startups wanted to be mentored. And we this was, a, let's call it a, yeah, a, a a way for us to, A, learn a lot ourselves about sharing economy businesses, but B, pass on the knowledges and really help some startups grow significantly so, because they didn't have to trial and error, but they could learn which marketing channel works for demand, which one for supply and so forth. And today I think this con- continues um, through myself and, and those founder groups continuing catching up and continuing sharing insights and helping each other. Um, and yeah, it's insanely valuable in my point of view.
1: Through the sharing hub, in what way do you share insights? Do you get together... On a regular forum in an office- space location, do you connect virtually?
0: Now, at How the mo- does this happen?: Yeah, so at the moment online, um, video call, you know, um, three-hour session, workshopping through through certain ideas, helping each other with insights. And maybe if I can share one thing to aspiring entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs, I, I would really see which are the companies that are maybe one or two steps ahead of you in the journey and really reach out to them. And that was the whole idea behind the sharing hub or, or the other mastermind groups that, that I do with, with other founders. It's finding people in a similar business situation and exchanging with them, hey, I mean, for example, we, with Madpost, we launched into different categories after the marketplace, like subscription and e-commerce. And one thing I did is I contacted all the subscription businesses in Australia that were at a higher level and I asked, what are the, the best conversion tactics? What are the best incentives you can get If people to get into a subscription, what are the best retention tactics and so forth? And people want to share. And that's how you think you build a bit of a network of uh, experts in a certain area. And it's insanely valuable to build a business.
1: What does a day in the life of Alexi look like? Is there any particular habits you have that make you successful, that are productivity hacks for you?
0: Yes, actually. Um, I think one productivity hack is I block out my uh, calendar by activity. so. I know in the beginning of the week usually on Sunday or Monday morning I plan exactly what I'm doing what I want to achieve the next week and I block those the required slots in my calendar so can't uh, if I ever not deliver on something then you can hold me very accountable because this system should usually not, not deliver or not communicate because it's just there in the calendar and I'm forced to spend the time on it or replan and communicate so I think that's Really helpful, especially working with multiple people. I think meetings are very useful when done in the right way, and to me that means don't be in a meeting if you don't need to be there. And also, it's totally cool to say, "Hey, I don't need to be there," or "Hey, I don't think you need to be there." Take take time because I know you're busy on other things. So that's not an awkward conversation, and I think that we try to instill in the culture. And don't book meetings for longer than they need to be. I don't think the standard meeting needs to be one hour think maybe a default, that's in my opinion, but for my line of work, a default meeting can be 30 minutes and I'm happily make it 15 minutes as well. And if it's one hour, then it's one hour. That's good as well.
1: That's really interesting because yeah. generally the amount of time you set for something exactly. is how long it typically takes. And when you were talking about meetings, you got me thinking about Elon Musk. He's yeah. got some very similar... Ruthlessly communicated principles about meetings and the value of them and tending them only when you should be there or you have something to offer.
0: That makes a lot of sense.
1: What motivates you?
0: I am very motivated by working with very capable people that are also very motivated and that can learn from. So that's that people aspect and my yeah, I just really enjoy learning. And the other thing is uh, I enjoy making an make an impact so that's that's related to why we're doing this and i enjoy seeing things grow really quickly it's just very fun when things work out um and when you launch a marketing channel and it's actually working when you launch a new product feature or change and the conversion rate actually increases when you launch a new people initiative and you can feel the culture in the company is strong and people give positive feedback and also when you make those changes and the positive results don't happen, but you get feedback to change it. Like that's not as inherently like, wow, good this was great. Good feeling, no? But helicopter view, that's fun as well. Because it's it's just building the puzzle together and and learning from feedback and pivoting here and there. And you see so the impacts
1: of the decision you make. And exactly. when they're good, they're great. You double down. And when they're not, exactly. you can learn from them, pivot, iterate.
0: Exactly. And I think that's that's one of the fun parts. And I said a few comments earlier about yes there is a there is a fail rate of course about entrepreneurship but let me not discourage you either to plan well and support and let me say one very positive thing i think is one very positive thing about entrepreneurship and general growth companies is that you can have so much impact by making the right decisions or by rather making many decisions and some of them will be right and a lot of them will be wrong but some of them are right you will see the impact of your work and it's so it's so rewarding. Rewarding, exactly. That's the word to, to see things move in the direction you want them to move because you tried something and it worked out. Even if it meant the previous six things didn't, um, you see the result of, of what happened.
1: So, to anyone listening, there is a lot of fun involved yes. in being part of a growth business. It's uh, something definitely to consider. You've achieved some incredible things today with your career. What are you most proud of in your life?
0: I think it's more of the, um, of, how, how it all comes together. I think I'm quite more, much more now than a couple of years ago. If you asked me a couple of years ago, I would have said uh, signing a deal with Qantas or achieving this milestone or that milestone. But I think now where I'm now, I'm just very happy about a number of important puzzle pieces in my life, being in a balanced situation. And that is working on very exciting growth, in mad and in, 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 in essentially growth businesses and having a, an amazing wife that's, you know, we have really great conversations and I'm excited about the future with her and having a, a really I think good health routine. I feel good. I don't feel like I feel, I feel healthy and having these things kind of coming together in a few other pieces of the puzzle. I'm very proud of achieving some, some level of strong balance in areas that are important, that that's, uh, yeah, I feel very good about.
1: You're a very inspiring person. What do you think some of your unique strengths are?
0: Well, I have a mindset to, to learning. And I think how that translates into a strength is that I try not to have preconceived idea and stop at it there. It's important when you're doing innovation that you keep an open-minded minds and are willing to really seriously consider changes, even if you don't, instantly see the logic but are willing to further explore it i think that's that's one strength i think that another strength that's that's that works well with me is i have i think a good way with people understanding their motivators understanding how to connect it to the business outcomes we need to achieve and importantly listening and creating a good culture for two-way feedback i think that's really important in in a working relationship Yeah, maybe uh, so. I don't come across like the guy with 10 strengths. I leave it (laughs) at those two. And uh, by the way, I have a lot of weaknesses as well. So, yeah.
1: You did talk at the beginning about the systems and structures you had in place for tidying around the house. So, you definitely got the growth areas that you're working on. You're someone that really comes across as being propelled by growth and you're very excited. Do you have a vision for yourself? your future and what you want to achieve?
0: Well, look, I mean, I would be overstating it if I I would say a a vision. But yes, I do know what I'm excited about on a business level. It's it's really fast growth. It's doing it with really smart and motivated people around me. And it's achieving and, and new things that people haven't done before, disrupting if you want. So if I play that out with everything else I've said, yeah, that's what I want to continue doing. Being surrounded by the right people, achieving the big things, doing them in a fast way, being okay with failing, trying thirty things, and if if three of the new initiatives, whether it's for growth or for new tech or for team culture or whatever, work out, uh, but it means we move fast. Even if we failed many initiatives, I just want to keep that mindset to to life and business, and I think that's really important. And yes, to that connect, I want to keep healthy. I want to keep have um have important people in my life, such as my wife and friends, and um all of them to be on the journey with me. So yeah, it's not a vision, but it's, it's I guess the things that make me excited. Yeah.
1: And do you have a framework for decision making? How do you know that you're making the right decisions, Or can you know that yeah. you're making the right decision?
0: No, I think there is always a degree of uncertainty for important things, for valuable things, um, especially in when you're trying to do things that necessarily haven't been documented and haven't been done a million times over, which is a bit of the the, the nature of building growth businesses um a framework yes, i do it's it's definitely a cost and benefit analysis, and what I do as well is i I put probabilities next to this, okay, cool, so the positive of launching the this new market international market is this number of revenue, this number of sales, and the negative is it could be this cost and that cost and distraction and so forth, but then. I always make a probability. The probability we achieve this is X and the probability we achieve the negative is Y. And and, and so in a way, they're probability weighted. Even if I don't do always the spreadsheet, probability times outcome is done. For every decision I make, I always put a probability next to it. And I think that's a very important thing to do. And then the more important the decision, the more you, I think, need to investigate the probabilities and need to get input from other people and need to, to my earlier point, ask advice from experts that have done it before and so forth. So that's the other uh, answer to your question. And
1: you can also have a closed feedback loop because you'll get outcomes to the probabilities and you can start to understand how right are you or what percentage of time as well. And so you can almost improve that as you go.
0: No, 100%. And so 100% and that's the other thing is like you don't need to make a big decision if you don't need to. Sometimes a decision like launching an international market for demand post business can be, is there a way to test this? And the answer is yes, actually there is a way to test this. There is a variable cost model where we can sell a few items in, in a, in a dropshipping way first. Okay, cool, fast deliveries, that's great, so that we don't have to make a big capital investment to move ahead with the decision. And we can split the big decision of launch, launching with a full warehouse operation, maybe a local team and so forth. We can split it into different milestones with the very first milestone not being so costly at all and on a probability-wise being good probability of generating significant enough revenue to move to the next milestone.
1: Yeah, you've got me thinking about a concept at Amazon which is one-way and two-way doors. Mm -hmm. And one-way doors are when a decision is made that you can almost not turn back from. Mm -hmm. It's either a huge capital investment It might be um, making a really crucial um, hire that will make or break a business, whatever it might be. It's a one-way door because there's no coming back from a decision and if it doesn't work out, you make a loss. A two-way door is one that you can very easily make a decision and walk back through the door and make another decision. And so at Amazon, there's this premise that if you're making a two-way door decision, you should make it very quickly because you can learn quickly quickly you can understand what the right next step is. However, if it is a one-way door decision that's more major for the business, has a much greater impact, they're the ones where you should really dive deep, spend a lot more time thinking about before you actually make a call on how to move forward.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's um, adjusting the, the, speed of, the speed of operating to the, the, the impact and the ability to, to turn back and I guess the implied the costs invested. And we see that in 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 the mat group we have different businesses at different stages we've got the marketplace that's at a certain level with a large enough team and rigid techno like solid technology that's that's already advanced and then we've got smaller businesses like the sashbed business that's growing super fast um from a smaller base but super super fast and the speed of operating operating and the speed of decision making needs to be different in in the different businesses and one and I learned this from my co-founder, it's also the number of decisions to make in a business where speed is so important and where there is, as you say, uh, much more of two-way door decisions because it's easier to turn back from them. The speed of decision-making is really important because if you make 30 decisions and three work out, but you make those 30 decisions in this time span of two weeks because you're just iterating a lot of things, that means you made three decisions that moved you forward in two weeks' time. Whereas for a much larger company, I'm speaking maybe or corporate now, they might make, um, I don't know, they might make five decisions in the time span of a month and four out of five will definitely work out because they did so much research. But then four out of five in a month versus, what did I say, three in two weeks, that's still faster, right? And so that's, that's a little bit how I think as well about speed of decision to adjust it to the stage of the company and the required speed.
1: Thank you for uh, elaborating. It's something that comes up Quite a lot, and a lot of founders that I've spoken to talk about how important speed actually is and moving very quickly. When thinking about leaders, I once did this activity as part of a leadership course where I was asked to write down the initials of someone who's had the most impact on me, and it can be from a professional setting or a personal setting. If you had to think about who that person would be for you who's made the most impact on you. Who would come to mind?
0: I would say the, the first group of people, it's my parents, because from a very young age, they shaped me, right? And, and I guess that's the case for, for many people, but they shaped me and they certainly also shaped me from a business thinking. It was always a topic at home. They try to pass on entrepreneurial insights. They try to pass on even things about decision-making, like you and I discussed, not advanced, but some degree and I often reflect on it right and I think the second group of people it's um, it's the Matt uh, co-founders that I started with and they're kind of I would say 10 12 13 14 years older than me so at an, an, an added level an added kind of decade more than a decade of experience and and yeah they taught me so so much in in, in, the, in the early days and I think what's really useful uh, is it's good to be aware about who shapes your your decision making as you navigate the entrepreneurial uh, journey, and I think what I really like to do is having a few people that are an example for me in certain areas. Like this guy is a really good deal maker, so what would he or she he he do in that situation? And this uh, person I met, she's just really good with uh, team culture. So what would she do in this situation? That type of thinking helps me a lot.
1: Someone else that talks about that quite a lot is Lewis House, and on his podcast I was listening to an episode and he was sharing how little people get coaching from people that do things well and so you just shared a business example at a macro level he'll talk about different areas in life so like you just said if you want to improve in something in business you should go to somebody already doing that really well. If you're looking to continue building and improving your relationship you should probably not talk to friends who might not have the best relationship, but you should go to someone who it seems to have a really beautiful relationship. And so, if you take any macroeconomic area of your life, and when you think about continuous improvement and learning, he often talks about how little people actually seek for guidance and advice from people that do things really well or better than they might be doing them today.
0: Yeah, no, I I one hundred percent subscribe to that thinking. It's also why go through trial and error, which is very costly and painful because you fall before you can stand, when you can ask someone exactly what to do from their experience?
1: It's a much faster way of learning. It's,
0: I think it's, it's much faster. And there are situations where you have to trial and error. Anyway, when someone gives you advice, you have to fine tune it.
1: And what works for you. By, and-
0: exactly. And translate it to your context. But why not get a head, sh- a head start? already kind of being at a high probability, in a high probability path to achieve what you want to achieve.
1: Yeah, it's almost like a form of coaching. Yeah, exactly. People do it really well in sports. I think sports is one of the fields that benefits most from coaching. And I also read a study around specialist fields. So as an example, surgeons who become qualified, they do a lot of operations, they become quite esteemed, mm-hmm. esteemed through their success rates they will not get coaching from the moment that they almost become fully practitioned to do their own operations. And there was a study done where they got a set of academics in a field of surgery who were providing feedback to very tenured and the top surgeons. And in one of the examples, one of the head surgeons who had the most success rates as, as to whatever it was deemed in this particular field of surgery, and he told him that he should just lower his elbow a little bit more to r- relax his shoulder because after operating for many, many hours, it will put him in a better position and allow him to be more precise in the operations. And what ended up happening was one, the surgeon said he felt really offended by someone telling him what to do. <laughs> um, two, over a period of time when he started actually implementing this little change, his success rate, and it's all marginal, also improved by a percentage that was significant in the field. The recovery time of visit patients improved. And there was like a really interesting conclusion to this was on the topic that we're talking about, how little people apply coaching in different areas once they get past a certain area in their life. And it's so important because it can really be something that advances. Um, you, Like you said, a shortcut, a head start.
0: Absolutely. I agree with that. Yeah.
1: Last question, if you had to give your 20-year-old self one piece of advice, what would it be?
0: Maybe I'm biased by what we just spoke about, but, but it would actually be exactly this, like go and speak to many people. Go and meet many people and try to, then the next step is actually take a step in, in, in that direction. And there's a great uh, example that I'm witnessing every day in the last two weeks, and it's this fantastic intern from Germany called Leon. In the Madpost company. And he just worked his, you know, little circle of connections in Germany and asked, Hey, do you know a cool startup I can work for? I'm willing to do whatever. Just want to learn. That's how he got connected to to the Madpost business. And now he's there. And all he's wanting to do is learn about marketing, about technology, about product management, about affiliates. And he's doing a fantastic job. But I'm thinking that's insanely valuable because you're meeting great people in the process. You're learning about what you're good at, you're learning about what you like and what you don't like, that's so valuable. And so I think that inspired by uh, Leon and inspired by our conversation about coaching and reaching out to people, um, asking for advice, that's, uh, that's what I would do, or that's advice I would give.
1: Alexi, thank now, you so much. You've shared so many insights today. You're incredibly inspiring. What you've done with Mad Paws is truly incredible, and I can't wait to see all the things that you continue to achieve.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you very much as well. This is great, this podcast. I love it. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Alexi. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Moonshot. If you felt inspired today and are curious about taking your own personal growth to the next level, check out my performance coaching website at leadwithtatiana.com. For more insights, stories, and behind the scenes content, follow me on Instagram at tatiana.moonshot. And if you have guest suggestions or topics you'd like explored, send me a DM. I'd love to hear from you. See you soon for another inspiring conversation that might just be the catalyst to the growth you've been seeking.